Welcome to A Retro Perspective, a video game podcast that takes a look at long-running franchises one game at a time. This season, we're taking a look at Nintendo's flagship IP, The Legend of Zelda. If you're just now joining us, we recommend beginning your journey with episode one. With that out of the way, I'm Carly. And I'm Kyler. Let's get started. It's hard to talk about 2002's The Wind Waker without first talking about a Nintendo-specific trade show named Space World. It was the year 2000, and Nintendo was announcing its latest console, the Nintendo GameCube. While Nintendo had released game footage for multiple upcoming releases, it was a tech demo that generated the most excitement, a scene featuring Link and Gandor fighting in 128-bit glory. With news of the demo came a built-in assumption. This was Zelda's future on the new hardware. That house of cards would come crashing down only a year later when Nintendo debuted footage of the actual game in development. A then-untitled Moonwaker featuring a cel-shaded Toon Link and slapstick Moblins. It was a perfect storm. The Space World demo, the lionization of Ocarina of Time, even the infamous console wars all contributed to a vitriolic backlash. This big-eyed cartoon character was the last thing anyone wanted. Glowing reviews helped soften opinions on Wind Waker at release, but nothing has aided the game's reputation more than time, especially in light of the games that followed. When you look beneath the art direction, you find a development cycle vastly different than that of Ocarina of Times. For all of the conspiracy theories over Ocarina's cut content, Wind Waker makes it plain to bear. Eiji Onuma himself has admitted that two of the game's dungeons had to be scrapped in order to get the game out. That sort of corner cutting shows up all over Wind Waker, a final dungeon that is little more than a boss rush, a lengthy Triforce hunt, half-baked islands, and so forth. It's telling, then, that Wind Waker has attained masterpiece status despite its shortcomings in divisive style. Not unlike Majora's Mask, it served up its limited dungeon offerings with a singular experience never replicated within the series. Despite all the complaints of its sailing and big blue overworld, it showcased what a 3D Zelda never had before, a world free to explore from any angle, the promise of adventures waiting in the distance, and a melancholy meditation on what the story of Hyrule is really all about. So Kyler, as always, first things first, how do we like the game? This was a weird game to get to because for the longest time, Wind Waker had been probably one of my top three favorite games of all time. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned that about Majora's Mask because Majora's Mask is one of the others sitting up there as well. Um, and they usually, those two games usually even traded places for quite a while. Um, but I think in more recent times, I don't know if there was attempts for me to try to replay it or or what, or if my opinion of Majora's Mask had either grown more or, or what, what, like what happened with that. But um, even going into this, I was just like, something about Wind Waker doesn't sit as well for me as it used to. It doesn't mean that I, it's not like a highly revered game. I still, I still adore this game for many, many reasons. But I think in more recent times, or really especially after this most recent playthrough, it's kind of made more evident that it's like, yeah, this game, <laughs> there's definitely cut content. And I think it took a, a long time. I think part of it was just, you know, I was one of those people that, I mean, we both were really, uh, but I was one of those guys that just really was thoroughly enraptured by Wind Waker, by its premise, and just by the by the art style, and just by playing it. And that the cut content was something to me that's like, maybe it was felt at the time, but it was something that just was very easily overlooked. But unlike, say, Majora's Mask with the type of things that can, that clearly feel like kind of pushed, it's so much more evident with this game. And... Just the more I've played it, the more that that's always been just kind of a felt factor of the game that I can't like I can I can really can't even ignore or, or like the game, the merits of the game don't override it enough 
for me to to look past it and so i can kind of feel it a lot more with that and that's kind of put a damper on my opinion of the game uh, oddly enough it's more like the first third of the game that i find kind of just okay and i'm more so looking forward to actually getting like breaking out into the great sea and enjoying it so it's it's weird so maybe just picking up more than anything is also kind of kind of boring but then once you get into it it's good i guess someone could say the same about ocarina but i don't know there's at least we'll make it a little bit more strict i think by comparison but it's still like once i get to exploring the ocean i i hit that i hit like that kind of open world zen with this game which is weird compared to like what's out these days but it's still it still does it really really well and i think a lot i mean i think there's a lot of factors that come together that make that work as well as it does so even when i do pass by all those useless islands that have literally no like actually usable terrain I don't know. I guess I'm just, you know, I pass by and I'm like, okay, let's just move on to the stuff that actually has some content. And maybe if I don't have as high of an opinion of it anymore, I think I can still respect and still be astonished by what they were able to do in such a short amount of time, considering everything, like considering the time frame being cut to so sh- like to such a short development time as it was. So I still love this game very, very much, even if it might not be a top three for me. I don't even know what even fits in that third slot anymore either so it's weird it's like oh it's not top three but then what is i don't know (laughs) i haven't thought about it (laughs) i don't know where it sits for me on like a personal ranking basis i i don't even know like what games are even up there at this point it's i'm really bad at ranking things (laughs) i i was not super excited to jump into this game after Majora's mask it just kind of felt a little I don't know. It took me, there was a decent gap of time between me completing Majora's Mask and starting this one. So part of it was I got out of my, I'm living in a Zelda game rhythm (laughs) that I've been in while while we've been doing this series. And once I started it, I was even kind of like, oh, here we go. Like I really wasn't into it. I, my Wii U turned off after I just completed the Forsaken Fortress. So I had to go back and do my least favorite part over again. So I was really upset about that. But, you know, it's funny, it is actually that first third of the game for me that I think kind of gets me into it away. I think it's <laughs> like, once you get the boat, I just think the way the game opens up is really interesting, and it's not, it's not as slow as I remember it being. So I played this game differently than I usually do, just from the purpose of, like, trying not to turn this into, like, a hundred-hour playthrough, because I didn't have that kind of time. <laughs> so I, just, I had to play it with actual purpose. Um, most of the time when I play this game, I will sail at every possible moment and explore. I will like basically comb the great sea like four times, like at any possible time where I'm able to sail, I will go to every item to every Island that I can. Um, in this case, I pretty much just kind of waited until I had all the items because I didn't want to have to come back to certain places again. So I think that sort of streamlined it more for me, which was an interesting way to play the game. And then I think in the back half, there are a few things that bother me (laughs) and they bother me. And what I kept saying to Kyler as I was playing this game was I was like, everything that's here is awesome. And unfortunately there's a lot that isn't here. And that's kind of where it's like, I love it. And it more so feels like a missed opportunity in some ways of like, it's such a great game. And it's like, if they had like another year or two, I'm like, this could have been like the greatest game of all time. 
Like, I really think that if they had spent more time with it, we, like, probably wouldn't even talk about Ocarina of Time anymore. We would just talk about Wind Waker. <laughs> Be like, yeah, that game had an ocean, and it had, you know, five towns, and it had seven dungeons. I was looking at um, the my collection of both the big Zelda art books has come in handy this season. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's yeah. been really helpful. And I was looking at some concept art of um, some of the islands and content that didn't make the game. And it's like, they're not, it's content where you don't look at it and you go, oh, I see how that got incorporated into X, Y, Z, or that they just decided to go in a different direction. It's like, no, that stuff definitely existed. And they were like, ah, we got to cut it. Yeah. And, you know, like there's this really cool, like potentially other volcano town or that it was more of a town with like smokestacks and whatnot. And like, you know, kind of uh, more reminiscent of maybe the designs in the next couple of games that you got. But yeah, they looked really cool <laughs> and and there was supposed to be more, you know, underwater stuff. And of course, we always knew that like with Jeboon, that Jeboon was not initially supposed to be at the back of Outset Island, <laughs> just hanging out. Yeah. Um, so I think it's like it's it's not even that third Pearl dungeon that bothers me because I actually think that Tower of Gods, there's all these other weird things things that funnel in to make a full game even if it's not a traditional zelda game in that way we're like forsaken fortress is like technically kind of your first dungeon and tower of the gods is like technically that third pearl dungeon in a way yeah so it's like they all kind of work themselves out the things that feel cut to me are like the right side of the ocean features like three different what I call them, birds on rocks, <laughs> isles, <Yeah. laughs> where you can't do anything. Like, as I was playing it, I was always on, like, the left and the middle side of the ocean. And I, the very last thing I did was go over there. And I was like, you know what? These islands are way more substantial than I remember. There's so much to do. There's. It always feels like every time I enter a square, I have to give a fishman bait, probably pull up some treasure, and then go on the island. And I'm like, that's enough to do. And then I got to the right side of the ocean, and I was like, uh... I killed all the birds, and was like, does something happen? No, nothing happens. No, nothing happens. So, uh, those feel a little, um, phoned in. Yeah. Uh, those <laughs> islands. Forest Haven always just feels like kind of... I don't like Forest Haven. I like the dungeon a lot. I love the, like, dark... The whatever, the forest... Whatever the dungeon Forbidden is Woods? Called. Forbidden Woods, thank you. Yeah. I really like the Forbidden Woods. It's probably my favorite dungeon in the game, potentially. Um, I just think it iterates on all of its ideas really well, and it's beautiful to look at. It's definitely just a pleasure to be in. It looks awesome. But it Forest Haven just feels, I don't know, a little empty. Um, I don't even... I'm one of those people that actually the Triforce quest doesn't even really bother me that much because I enjoy sailing around. Oh, same. Uh, so it's funny. I played the HD remake and I was actually... The Triforce quest actually felt too short to me. Yeah. <laughs> I actually... I had so much money. I was like, I've stored up... Saved up all this money to spend a bunch on Triforce charts and I don't get to do that. So... Um, but I can see how it annoyed people at the time. I had one other complaint, and I think I even wrote it into the intro. Uh, yes, <laughs> my complaint is the final dungeon. <laughs> Don't like it. Uh, not a fan. I just, the bosses aren't hard. You don't want to fight them twice. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> no true. And they, even the sections, I guess they were trying to pull an ocarina 
with having the trials, but the trials in Ocarina were a little more interesting. The trials in Ocarina required some modicum of effort. You can literally blaze through. I actually played the boss rush twice because I didn't understand. <laughs> I didn't understand the uh, the darkness puzzle. It's been so long since I'd beaten this game, which I guess is a common refrain know. for me with the entire series is that I played 85% and then stopped playing because I don't like to beat <laughs> games. So I'm sorry. That's... Um, I, I mean, it, it's probably been a decade since I actually beat it because I played the HD remake literally up to... I should... I had like three Triforce shards left to get. And that was it. And I had like everything else. So, but I didn't beat the game. So yeah. I got into that room and I was like, oh God, I don't remember this. And what I did was I looked at the number of like, uh, because the King of Red Lions is like, memorize this room. It's really important. And I was like, because it's super important. So I went back and played the boss rush again in the order. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that you're supposed to hit the switches in. And as I was doing it, I was like, this is probably not what I'm supposed to do. And I was so mad at the game while I was doing it. Like, this is the solution. I'd be so pissed. It wasn't the solution. So I'm still, I'm, I'm not mad at the game. I'm mad at myself. Um, yeah. I think the Phantom Ganon thing is cool. It took me way too long to understand it. It's embarrassing. Yeah. Anyways. So yeah. maybe I'm just ashamed of myself. Um, but Puppet Ganon's great. <laughs> that is a great. Oh, I have a lot of a lot of things to say about the the closing segments of this game in general. Um, talking about just the the meat of the game, um, especially. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I definitely agree. I, I didn't even thought about it until you really brought it up. I'm like, yeah, the right side of the ocean does suck. It's kind of trash. It's not. It. I mean, the the flight platform's neat. I like that, but most of the other islands are pretty whatever. Yeah, no, it, it didn't help at all. It's so looking on that. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I do prefer most of the remaining two thirds of the ocean, at least the good parts of the remaining two thirds of the ocean <laughs> as far as that goes. So I'm having the hardest time trying to put into words the qualities of this game that draw me to it so much. Some of it come down to the details and the nuance, but just like on a broader, broader picture. I mean, yeah, the art style is a thing that could be said. I think when you, yeah, I think when you were talking about the Triforce quest, that's a, that's a bit I thought about that people are like, well, you could have had another dungeon in place of it or another, well, really, I guess two going off the, off Anuma's remarks on that, which is true. And I honestly, for the sake of like this, this game was definitely built in a way that you're almost clearly expecting more main game. So it's, I completely understand why people get upset about the Triforce shards because it's at the point where it's like, okay, we got the Master Sword upgraded. Is that, that's, that's it. We just have to present a good old golden triangle and we get to go underwater again. And that's, that's it. It's like, yep, that's, <laughs> that's, that's it. Um, but from what this game is going for, especially with, with regards to explore, uh, exploration to me, I've always, I don't know. I was always looking for the opportunity to go out in the ocean, uh, much like kind of you felt as well. And for me, I, I, I more deliberately planned it out where I was doing it as like the last thing I was doing was exploring the ocean. And I kind of regret that. I kind of, I'm <laughs> just like you, I'm now mad at myself. I'm like, man, I should have done just a little more to break up the game because I could have, I could have done more to break up this game. But even then still saving for all for last and getting to go through all of that stuff and then saving the the Savage Labyrinth for last as well, which is probably my favorite part of the, one of my favorite parts of the game. 
is is that that part of it the gauntlet of enemies that you have to fight i still really really enjoy the triforce quest because it's basically encouraged me to do what i was already going to do in the first place which was thoroughly comb over the the world of the game and so i i've never i've never really had a problem with it and i'm also with you that it's like oh yeah like four or five of the shards are just straight directly from the chest that would have given you a chart in the original game and i'm (laughs) i'm generally fine with it but I don't know. It's kind of like we don't need more rupees either. <laughs> yeah. Because they, they effectively slashed. They they slashed it. I think I calculated it. It's, um, it was a little under 3,200 rupees in the original to get all the charts to cipher because it's what, 398? Because Tingle is weird and can't just give us a nice even 400 <laughs> on them on for across eight charts. And I think it's it's either four or it's three. But either way, you've cut it more than in half and also any chest any rant like just regular rings of light that you pull up give 50 instead of like 10 or 20 and it's like oh whoops i'm hitting the cap again i guess i'll burn rupees for fun now somehow and yeah that that's like they kind of made two changes that completely just overcorrected for each other and i guess like it it's safer that way but if you have even like the mildest amount of curiosity you will have found plenty of charts that will allow you to to rack in rupees and if you don't come out of the savage labyrinth either capped out or with a lot of money then well you clearly didn't break the pots that had the rupees <laughs> with the money in them so that's another problem that would be that's completely your fault <laughs> so they yeah so they <laughs> oh my gosh so they it, it was kind of overcorrected but anyway kind of ignoring the details of it the hd hd port of it um overall i mean i i generally i enjoy the triforce quest even in lieu of the fact that it's that we're supposed to get more dungeons considering these games this game's dungeons in general i'm i'm mostly okay with that not because they're bad they're just i mean you, you kind of touched on it a little bit here as well like they're they're mechanically interesting i think they're mechanically at least more interesting than ocarinas with some respects um but they're definitely they are levels <laughs> they are they are levels they are not challenging you you to like actually explore out and feel out a location it's here's a challenge all right not tackle it here's another challenge and it kind of implement it's like they're mario levels yes kind of like, <laughs> as you've said to me before about it is there they are and which is not like bad but like in in you know looking back on it it's it's not really the the best fit for for zelda with respect to that like it's it's fine it's just when you're you're mostly when the game is meant to be especially wind waker is meant to be engaging that kind of freeform sense of moving about um i mean i understand that like dungeons serve a good contrast with that i mean that was always the case in the original too but um in the original legend of zelda but i think even then there was some degree of like you're you're perce- you're very much picking and making decisions about the paths and the way you move around, and this was somewhat lost in three D in the three D Zelda games. I think Majora's Mask did a really good job of forcing you to have to try to like orient yourself in that dungeon and then kind of get a sense of where you're supposed to go, which is I mean is really intimidating, especially with the game's time system. Wind Waker, it just feels really like it just feels kind of overly simplified yeah and there's not as much of that like big like because even even ocarina because ocarina was really the one pushing it 
coming into 3D was having those big centerpieces that kind of were that were kind of like how the you know how the structure of the dungeon kind of formed around it. I mean, even like in instances of like the fire temple, it's not like it is there is a centerpiece in that giant chasm that kind of leads to that bottom floor but then there's all the side rooms around it and it kind of it just it helps make it feel huge and with wind waker it really just going room to room you don't really get a sense of scope within the place and it doesn't really help that you for like the the later two temples you're specifically you're you're going deep underground and you're not actually you don't even get like a sense of what the dungeon looks like from the outside from either of those at least like forest haven forest haven yeah i can i can definitely see why you like Forest Haven for that reason because it does. It actually does have that centerpiece a little bit. Yeah, a little uh, bit. A little, a little bit. Not, not a whole ton, but it's still a thing that there's a couple rooms centered around it, and then you drop down a couple floors once you get the key item, and um, so there, there's some degree of it there. Dragon Roost has it a little bit. Yeah, well, I think the the above ground dungeons do because you get you can tell like oh well this is the volcano or like this is the forbidden woods and it loses it in the ones where they're gateways to temples like the idea of the temples is that they're actually in hyrule and that you fall like down through the hole into the temple yeah but then it's kind of a missed opportunity because it could have just you could have had a little bit of like it would be cool that when you drop down, you enter into another part of Hyrule and you actually see like the dungeon or like the temple or whatever versus just like, now you're in it. Uh, it doesn't, they, they lack that sort of sense of place or like history in their construction that makes you think of them as like real existing spaces. And I, I would say like, I enjoy them on a moment to moment basis. There aren't really rooms where I'm like, like. There are rooms in other Zelda games where I'm like, this sucks, this is a slog. <laughs> and I feel like they're really fun. And yeah. they're so smart with their use of items. Like, I think that the way that they put puzzles together is, like, very smart in that it... You don't do a lot of block pushing. <laughs> like, yeah. they, they use your arsenal of items or the enemy items around you or they, like, give you things within the room and space. So, like in the forbidden woods you get to throw those like nuts around and or you get to throw bombs around even though you don't have many items they find ways to like incorporate those things or they teach you to do things and then use the items that you get to then like also grow with those things or in the case of like um well you know the power bracelet the power bracelets are never an exciting item but they do they do get used in the earth temple um in the boss fight and then i do think that like the wind temple is just super smart because you come in with a lot of tools and they find great ways to use them like you can use the iron boots to jump into the air and then use your deku leaf to fly around but then you can also use your iron boots with a hook shot to break things it's just very smart yeah but they you don't know, i wish mm. <laughs> i wish that they incorporated more of that combination of ideas in the boss fight in the wind temple because all you do is just to use the hook shot and it feels like a missed opportunity because you have these three awesome tools well and the fact that you're also doing cooperative things in this dungeon so you have all of this array of things and then you get to the boss fight and you don't get to use them yeah and you only really get punished in that fight if you're just really slacking on positioning yeah well and actually the earth temple is better about it because you use the power bracelets which you got to enter the dungeon in the fight and you also use the mirror shield 
But in the wind temple, she's the hookshot. <laughs> yeah, just the hookshot. And you get the probably only viable, well, not only viable, eh, I guess since you get the hurricane spin, you, I mean, you would at least have the ability to have it at that point. I love using the hurricane spin during that fight. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like against um, the, the Poe. Yeah, I guess yeah. the pose. I did use yeah. it. I did use it against both, although it's not super yeah. viable against Bulgara. Yeah, it's mean? more like you'd hit them like two or three times, and then it's like cycles already over. But yeah, at but least I, at least I on the like refights, the you demolish Calad uh, Caladimos Demos. The force, the forbidden the, Rose guy. Yeah. Oh yeah, you just wreck him. Just destroy. I always thought, always one cycle, and this kind of goes. I, I always thought that that boss had more to it, and maybe I'm getting it confused between the mini boss fight and maybe other boss fights in the series. I always thought that like after you, like opened him up and cut him up, that he like transformed into like a flying thing. I, I always felt there was a phase two to that fight. There's not. That's kind of like most of the fights. You're like, oh, I thought there was a phase. Yeah, two. and I managed. <laughs> There's not. I managed. I managed to one cycle him before I got the Master Sword That's because, crazy. because of a glitch in the HD port. Oh, okay. Well, that's not <laughs> it's crazy. A, it, it's, a, it's, it's some strange modifier. Like if you do a jump attack and then you spin the control stick while you're doing it, it buffers a spin attack. For whatever reason, especially on enemies where the jump attack would normally launch them away, if you buffer that spin attack, first off, it won't knock the enemy away they'll be they'll be treated differently like it's a normal hit in a combo but the spin attack so the 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 jump attack already does double damage but for whatever reason that spin attack gets another double damage modifier <laughs> and suddenly you're doing obscene damage and one-shotting stuff early game and it's ridiculous so i don't know why what happened but it's great <laughs> that's so great. anyway just threw that out there but yeah is uh, I know we'll we'll probably get. There's so much to talk about when we get into comparing this game to the others. Is there anything that we want to, else that we want to go into before we talk about presentation? I think I think if I had chosen chose to like stick with the original as far as like sailing goes, I don't think I'd be as happy about sailing. I actually I made it a point to not use the swift sail speed like too much on this. I didn't want to just blaze around the islands. <sighs> I did use it you to... You have much more discipline than I do. <laughs> Granted, I was also trying to beat this game in like a week, so I was like, I don't have time That's, to get myself yeah. in the mindset of what the proper sailing feels like. I don't give a crap. I had, but I had, yeah. no, that was very smart of you. <laughs> I had about two... I mean, since I got kicked off on it right away and I had a bit more time to work with on it, I was just like, like not all the time, but like sometimes if I, if I was trying to get towards like a uh, treasure chart, ring i would i would just dart towards it but for the most part i was like what if i just try to like pace it and i only use it for redirecting the win and i and i was like oh this is kind of slow but then swift sail is like almost too fast it almost I like i think it is too <laughs> it is it is almost i almost feel like if it was cut like i know like if it's called the swift sail and it only goes like 20 percent faster it'd be kind of <laughs> seriously <laughs> underwhelming but the 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 ability for it to just drive the wind behind you at all times is already a serious game changer and yeah. like in the best possible way so yeah. with respect to that i don't yeah i don't know if i would have like i'm just i was trying to remember just just having these memories of cruising around and then being like oh the thing is like 
45 degrees off that direction, I guess I can kind of do, and I, and I always found weird ways to kind of abuse wind, like the speed, like you could, you could, you could do a thing, all the weird things I know to do, but you, you get your sail out and then the immediate burst of wind, you can jump with that and it goes faster than normal sailing for just a little bit. And you can then do that to go in a direction that's slightly off wind direction to get there. I, that was, this is what you had to do if you wanted to speed things up and you didn't want to just stop and redo the wind direction. And it was like, oh, I can just go straight towards it. Like this is without question way better. Yeah. And and they up the cruising speed, which makes ship combat, which is still really clumsy, but it's it it does help a lot. Or if it, it's just trying to reposition in general, it, it helps a lot that the cruising speed was, it feels like doubled. It was really slow in the original. It was so bad. Yeah, so... So maybe maybe those those complaints are legit when you I, yeah I think I think the pacing like I think if it was like twenty percent faster I mm-hmm. think it would be perfect um, and any complaints beyond that it's just like nah you just like well it's really just the wind changing direction and just being twenty percent faster and I think it'd be perfect so when it comes to the core of the game I'm I'm more than fine with playing the HD port as far as this choice goes. And um, I mean, just when it comes down to playing it, like I still, I don't know, I hit that same Zen, as I said earlier, like I hit that same Zen with, with playing in like an open world, like a really enjoyable open world game, which I played very few to begin with, but there's that, I don't know, it was that same kind of feeling. I like the automated nature of sailing and that it gives me a little time, especially on the remake, to look at my map, which I always had open and being able to you spend that time, it's passive time, but it's time that you spend thinking or looking around. You think about what you're going to do, where you're going, what you're going to do when you get there, what you have left to do. You look at your treasure charts, whatever. And you also look into the distance and you can see things and you can see like platforms. You're like, oh, I'm going to go off there. You see a submarine or whatever. And you pay attention and you go off in directions you didn't anticipate. And maybe that's the true strength of the remake is that with the ability to not have to change the wind direction all the time, you can see things in the distance and you can just decide to go to them without having to stop your momentum, change the wind and do that. And I, that's probably what makes it most enjoyable to just like swift sail around is that there's no barrier to you pursuing things. Yeah. Yeah. The overall, overall changes in HD remake are, are, are generally great even if you might have like qualms with say the way the lighting is handled in places which I which I do I have I have some of my issues with it but I think it's overall like a net positive and just um I don't know the the core of the game just stands so much stronger that way and I think that's really the important thing of it yeah I mean I don't think that the game really bothered me when it came out but it definitely feels hard to go back to the original now <laughs> yeah I don't think I would I think I would feel more I don't know, it's work. And even like the, I mean, I'll just say that like, I don't really like the Wind Waker, the item. First off, it doesn't really make sense. This is just (laughs) me from like a musician's perspective of like, I don't, four, four is four, four. You can't just like, you don't choose notes. Yeah, you don't choose notes by (laughs) conducting in a direction. That's how (laughs) any of this works. Uh, I get the idea, but it's kind of like, 
it's kind of funny. Um, so that doesn't really make any sense. Or they should have just given like other time signatures or something or done like six, eight, been like, okay, we have three, four, and we have two, four, we have four, four, we have six, eight, we have six, four, five, four, or seven, four, seven, four. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know. They should have maybe just, but then you wouldn't do anything. I don't know. It's kind no. of, I don't really get it, but whatever. Yeah. They did that. I, they, I think I'm more, I think the command melody is more annoying to me. And maybe that's because I had to use it more than the, uh, oh, the wind. What is the song even called for the wind? Um, the winds. No. What is it? The command melody. Oh my gosh. Winds Requiem. Yes, that sounds right. That sounds right. I think it's the Winds Requiem. Okay. (laughs) Um, maybe it's because I I didn't have to use that very much because I was using the swift sail. Um, Yeah. The command melody is so annoying. It and is, it feels and it was like, even worse in the original. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. And I feel like it's there. It feels like one of those things that's there because they're like, we got to teach you songs. You got to do something with this item so that it feels yeah. worthwhile. And it's like, those dungeons, the, all the last three dungeons would have been so much more fun if they just assigned a button and you got to like switch your partner like, that yeah because controlling them is fun and great and actually working with them is great what's not fun is being like all right i gotta use this freaking command melody again yeah or just like the ai and i mean it's a gamecube game so i I won't yell at it too much but the ai is a little bit lacking it feels like they get stuck too easily or they should have just it could have been better it's not like unplayable it's just like i i i think at first i'm like oh i never want to see another co-op dungeon ever again in zelda it's so much more it's much more enjoyable than uh jab jab's belly and it's actually fun and the characters are fun to control and it creates some really interesting puzzles i think it's just that if you were able to control them more smoothly and switch easily yeah yeah my god in the original (sighs) where you'd have to hear the refrain every single time not the refrain but the yeah the whatever you call it the full played out oh melody gosh, or whatever it was, it was yeah i actually hated it more <laughs> in tower of the gods probably really? probably because i hate their stupid robot statue faces <laughs> so it's probably just like more annoying because you just like are having to march around this slow cumbersome thing um although the way that link says come on he says come on the same way to everyone but for some reason it's cutest when he says come on to the statue (laughs) so cute yeah um yeah somehow tower of the gods makes me more upset yeah yeah that's hmm. i don't know why but it does i I just irrationally because of (laughs) robot faces Um, they do have goofy faces so i guess speaking of the wind waker i think we can get into the presentation and maybe just start off with the music in yeah, which I don't, the music is great, but the Wind Waker songs suck. That's my hot take. <laughs> I'm saying it right now. Oh, okay. The Wind Waker so, songs. Strong opinion. Well, well I guess. Well, okay. The, yeah. The Earth Gods, whatever, the, the final two songs that you do to get into the dungeons. Yeah. Those are awesome. They are wonderful. Great. Probably because you get to use more than like three notes. <laughs> <laughs> and they that have actual. Helps actual like music accompanying them yeah and they're like in an enjoyable key <laughs> yeah for well, for conductor's baton if you're the whole point is you're doing something to conduct music it's kind of weird that you don't get 
much of anything with it. I mean, you get, I guess with the, um, with, oh, whatever, the fast travel song is, oh, I don't even know what that one's called. Ballad That's, of the, Ballad, ballad of, the of the Gales. Of the Gales. That's what it is. Okay. And you get that, for, that weird, um, minuet of forced yes. callback. <laughs> Just super weird, um, but it's. I don't it's even fine. know why least, that's what they chose. I, you would have thought. I don't know either. Maybe, <laughs> Song of Soaring would have been a much more apt reference. Yeah, it would have. Yeah, actually, it would have. It might not have been as enjoyable, but it would have been a. It would have fit the tone of all of those songs because Song of Soaring better. isn't that great. <laughs> yeah, because everything. <laughs> Yeah, it's song not. of Soaring is the song that feels like we ran out of all the good. Well, in my opinion, most of the Ocarina songs in Majora's Mask feel like we ran out of all the good Ocarina song combinations in Ocarina of Time. So now yeah. you get these. <laughs> so now you get this song, yeah. which all we did with it was make it do half step ascensions. And that's 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 the song. <laughs> that's the song. And that's that's all you get instead of <laughs> all these other songs that play out nice little melodies with you know, this it this kind of so. goes more back into gameplay than anything else but it, isn't it weird that the wind waker doesn't get used more in like side quests or like in any sort oh. of hmm. there's no like mini game there's tons of uh ocarina mini games in ocarina of time and stuff yeah but here you would think that like especially because the baton i would say it it suggests a more collaborative nature than like the ocarina yeah. That it feels like the sort of thing that, like, I don't know, that there could have been, like, a choir or something. Or, like, the frog choir. Yeah. Like, there's all oh, these true. other things where, in actuality, this time you're a conductor and you don't really get to conduct outside of the main story. Yeah. Which I think is interesting. Yeah. That's weird. Like, the more I think about it, it, more it feels like an item that's more mired in tradition because it's like, well... Ocarina and Majora had them and they were instrumental. I mean, Majora's Mask quite, like literally is absolutely the most important thing in the game um and it's here and yeah every time you talk about it, like i think i'm like well yeah you but you played the winds requiem to make chests appear <laughs> yeah which which I, feels I, like they were like zelda's lullaby used to do this so the wind song will yeah but it doesn't make any sense why would because yeah zelda's <laughs> lullaby impa is just like zelda's lullaby is like as a mark uh, that you were sent by the royal family. I'm like, that's pretty important. And so it makes sense that in both associated locations, both getting into Zora's domain and uh, getting to reach Darunia's chamber, it's like, oh, it's the royal family. They're here. Oh, it's a kid. But like, you know, it, it was, it was, it's still, you know, it still signified something. Yeah. Or I don't know. I think here is just kind of. <sighs> and also the way it's given to you is just like, hey, by the way, yeah. Um, he, I just, just, I figure you should have this. Not like, well, like, you know, it's not Ocarina bestowed time. upon you. It's literally just <laughs> like, apparently these two cyclone gods have a really outsized effect on this world because <laughs> yeah. some reason, whenever you but, control the wind, chests appear from yeah, the Triforce shards. But there's no deeper tie to like Hyrule itself. There's just, for whatever reason, the, these upper parts of Hyrule, they... They had chests sealed away by this melody. It's yeah, yeah. They feel about as important to the story as like sharp and flat. Yeah, but but at least they were like <laughs> treated in a way that they're meant to be on the side. 
So it worked. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It feels like one of those things where they're like, well, yeah, we got to have an instrument. <laughs> well, we got to do it for the sake. It's kind of, which is like, kind of Or like the instrument weird. has functional uses in like, you with with getting into the dungeons and like Ballad of the Gales. I don't mind playing the song to warp. Whatever. That's chill. I've yeah. done that for years. It's all right with yeah. me. It's yeah. more so that like, I think they were like, well, we don't have many songs. So they have to like yeah. these functions that were not necessary to have songs now have songs. We, Where we you have could have done something much smoother. They're like, wait, no. but we need to have songs. Was it still five notes? What? Yeah, I was trying to think of how many notes was in that were in uh, ocarina. There's only five notes in the ocarina, right? Mm, C buttons. A, C buttons and A. That's really yeah. Yeah, then that sounds how. Huh, maybe it's the tones they assigned? No, I don't know. I well, don't know. Well, it's also like that they can use like up to like eight notes and they can do some things with rhythm, which yeah. obviously to play the songs, you don't have to do the rhythms to trigger them. But, you know, but the when you listen to the were... Lost Woods song, you think about the rhythm of that song. Now, yeah. imagine if you had to take that song and play it in a consistent time signature with absolutely no rhythm or deviation. <laughs> That's like the yeah. limitation of the Wind Waker is that like you get... You get no rhythm. Four notes? <laughs> you get, you you get, get five one notes rhythm. And you get one... You know, you can't change the rhythm at all. And yeah. it just goes straight through. And it's like... And you, there's not even any point in experimenting it with it the way you could with the ocarina. Or like the way in both of the '64 games, you got like the um, the Scarecrow song. Yeah, yeah. So you know, even if you got a custom song, like what are you gonna what are you gonna do with it? Because even like even the 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 Wind Waker songs like aren't really even complete without the little bit that comes after it either. And that's more like a little flourish more than anything as well. Like when it comes to like the Wind's Requiem having just the the piece that plays after accompanying the wind change. Or uh, shoot, you wouldn't even know the song of passing was the sun song if it didn't have. I mean, maybe you would because you'd recognize like, oh, I guess right down up. That's the same note pattern, I guess. Uh, but then it has the accompanying time change with it after, um, which I do like. I don't know. I really like how it's how that sounds in this game. But that's I don't know. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't expect us to be talking about the Wind Waker so much, but when you pointed out, it is kind of almost like it's almost it's like too limited as far as what it does and it's also arbitrarily presented like the greater themes of like the wind do like are better extrapolated on in like different parts of the game especially the ending like not as significant they're more symbolic than anything but the most like the literal like wind waker is kind of just whatever yeah it just well and you have no connection to the history of this item yeah. And like it's not given to you again, it's not given to you by like a meaningful person in, in any sort of way where like Princess Zelda gives you the Ocarina of Time, it means something. And here yeah. it's just like you Oh, does the boat give it to you? Yeah, the boat gives it to you as soon as you get <laughs> the boat, to Dragon Roost. The King of Red and he's just given me. Like, hey, just figure yeah. it go ahead and give this to you. Well, like, why is he even <laughs> What does he see in you? Okay. <laughs> I I, well, that's just it. That's what he talks to Jabun about as well. Is he's like, I, I sense at least a lot of courage. He's not the hero, but it's him. But it's like he gives it to you yeah, he right just, away. He gives you that stick. He's like, you figure you at least at that die point. die on Dragon Roost Island, but take this stick. I feel like they gave it to you kind of early. I figured. Like, they had to give it 
or was the wind already controlled? The wind it, direction it was, was it was set east. It was set but east. the the weird thing, I feel like we're getting more mechanics than anything. But it's still like it is a curiosity here because it's like when you go to like try to throw a medley up to the uh, up to the uh, that ledge, the wind direction is random. But if you decided to just go ahead and out of curiosity get the wind's requiem, you can cheese the section by forcing it a certain direction. And then at that point, it's like, all right, you have control of the wind. But I feel like maybe if they did something like the wind just changed direction and went south, you'd be forced because it'd be a straight shot to Forest Haven. Then at that point, at least, you know, maybe you'd be able to like maybe after that, he's like, OK, I think I think he might be capable. And then he'd hand it to you and it'd be more meaningful instead of just like, uh, you know, initially he's like, you know, it was kind of foolhardy going up against a fortress like that and then later like as soon as you travel two islands he's like you know i think i can trust you with the wind waker <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> even I though you've done like, nothing else yeah i don't know i think yeah the the <laughs> the wind waker it's there it's there it's it's yeah it's so. delivered in an interesting way uh, yeah. that really removes robs it of its impact in a way so yeah i guess to segue at least at least it's not the most significant part of the music in the game i mean i guess besides the main theme that's broken into two pieces being played out which again you know is is really good probably the only really particularly great part about the wind waker is musically but um segueing to the rest of this soundtrack it's it's and my hesitation makes it sound like I'm, I'm like, oh, it's a mixed bag. It's more, it's more how it's the music is presented in this game, is that anytime you go to any island that doesn't have a theme of its own, you won't hear music. Anytime you go in a cave, you're gonna hear the cave music, and everywhere else, you're gonna hear the Great Sea theme. It, it's like the the selections and the cuts of the music you get to hear feel feel like strangely narrow like it feels like the soundtrack feels more narrow than it really is even though like the actual like the content of the music that's there is is exceptionally good it's super weird like playing this game and listening to its soundtrack are two like fundamentally different things because that's not you're not gonna like hear these tracks in sequence of playing through the game you, you'll get bits and pieces but then a large amount of your time you're gonna be hearing two songs <laughs> which it helps that the great sea is an unbelievably awesome piece of music yeah i mean it never bothered me because you spend so much time on islands or you spend a lot of time with just like the ocean sounds that for me whenever like morning would come and the great sea would boot up i'd be like yes great sea time i never felt like yeah. oh, i hate the song like, it always <laughs> felt like there was enough between just like the natural environmental shift of hearing it that i was like fine with it yeah i i particularly love the morning theme i think being in the key that it is to fit the oh, great sea theme so much. i i love it well even just like considering you have the whole white you get basically you can see the ends of the horizons in this game compared to previous zeldas i don't know the sun's like setting and rising is i don't know it's great and just matched with all the atmosphere of everything the way everything comes together um yeah just kind of like you said as well like going on islands where the music kind of stops for a bit and then getting getting back out um, or even just like when it's nighttime and you're just hearing the ocean again, it really, it helps so much that the sound design 
with regards to atmosphere is top notch in this game. It's yeah. really, really good. And I also just think like the day night cycle in this game just feels, I don't know, it just feels right to me. It's like kind of my ideal. Yeah. They're long enough. Like it feels like there's enough variety in like the weather and the changes and the music. And also like, I don't know, it just has like this real sense of journey. The fact that the moon, like the, the moon has different phases and whatnot. So it has like sort of the, the substantial feeling of a Majora's mask, but the utility of like an Ocarina of Time stay night cycle. Yeah. And also that it's just a very clever mixture of like the time changing around on the sea and then approaching islands. And it kind of stays, to, I don't know. I think it's really smart. Yeah. It's not really on the, I mean, it's, it's kind of off topic, but I think it all, I don't know. It contributes in a way that when you hear music and when it fades in and it comes in, it's all just really smart. Or like there's different islands where as you get further up or farther away, you hear. Oh, like outside island, like you climb that hill and you have like an awesome theme and then that theme goes away. And then you just have like the silence. I think like you get a lot of that sort of like fade in, fade out that makes the areas feel more like you're part of a world than just in that area at that time. Yeah. You know what I mean? The way the music is utilized in this game contributes so much to its feeling more than just the music itself, which I think says a lot about how like even just tastefully using, like you can have a strong composition, the repet- like the repetitive nature of the Great Sea to some degree could great and yet like the way it's utilized is always it's i don't know every time it kicks off when you start moving away from an island always feels great it as a as it's uh <laughs> to i didn't play on words on purpose but it just it is it is it really works so well with the scenario when the music the timing and the choice and the way it fades in and out is is really really well done and so it plays a huge part of what makes even i don't know it just makes getting it makes just navigating the Great Sea on its own right, great, because there's that kind of contrast that comes with it. Like, maybe, yeah, we could have asked for, like, an island theme, I guess, and yet... Nah, I don't even want mm. one. I, like, I yeah, appreciate the silence. I can't even silence. imagine it. Yeah, I can't, I can't even really yeah, I don't imagine know. I can't either. So, like, I'm thinking, like, yeah, it would be nice, but then it's just, like, I don't know. I get, like, for, like, the what this game is going for, especially, considering it's, like, a like a giant, a great, you know, a massive ocean that's inhabited by very few people, like in only select places. It works really, really well that there isn't music in a lot of those places. So I don't know. It's like, it's one of those things that just, it works well and it feels like it shouldn't. And especially with this game's development and just with the stuff that had to be cut, it's kind of amazing, like how much they work just because, just because of tasteful choice alone. Yeah. Why don't we talk about, before kind of getting into the art direction of this game, why don't we just talk about our favorite pieces real quick? Hmm. Or, you know, and also uh, the callbacks that are really sneaky yes. and smart, which they were really the thing I love about, about the callbacks in this game is that they are not merely just about reusing pieces that you like, but because of the nature of the story and sort of the mystery with it, they explicitly tell the story like narratively they work and they function and it's awesome yeah this has um definitely much more dynamic i wouldn't say dynamic in a mechanical sense but more just like 
there there are a lot of mood pieces that fit cutscenes now, which is uh, which helps a lot. Which is uh, it helps kind of bolster these kind of more elaborate scenes. But I think just like the, the callbacks are great. I think just because because they're so subtle plays a really big part in that. It doesn't feel like it's just aping older games. I mean, the game is very clearly tied to Ocarina at its at its core, and yet. I think because of the way it strikes out on its own as well, still gives it its own identity. So that when you're hearing like, what was it we discussed? The Pirates theme has a bit, oh, it has um, Hyrule Castle layered into it a little yes, bit, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, it's which a is different, crazy. It's, it's major instead of minor, but it's right there at the very beginning with the Pirates being like, hey, someone in related, someone's royal here. Yeah. <laughs> it's <just> so smart. <laughs> And you, but you wouldn't. And the great thing is, you like, like playing, pick up the game. Even if you played other games, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even pick up on that from the get go, until the like the clues started kind of playing into it. I don't know the the way this game ties its music into its environmental design with like the it, you know it's not a lot of places that really dig into it, but the ones that matter within regards to the story, it does ah, such a good job that the with that as far as the musical tie-ins to it it's subtle it's it is it is sneaky the twist itself might not be as sneaky but just more so like that part doesn't even necessarily have to be in it maybe it wasn't if you since coming off of ocarina of time but just but like the fact that they still were subtle about it with respect to all the other parts of it that contribute to the 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 story and the aesthetic um i i yeah i love that yeah, I think Windfall might be... Well, I just love Windfall because I think it's really catchy. But, my goodness, I should have seen it so much sooner. I mean, obviously, Windfall <laughs> is like the Kakariko of the game. But it's still like, well, Dragon Roost, Death Mountain, right next to Kakariko. Yeah. <laughs> and you have like the gate and everything. And it's like, once you actually look at it, you're like... And you see the wind... It's like, I should have... I should have put the pieces together a much longer time ago. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love it. I love the little touches like that. That it's like it should be way more obvious than it is, and yet because, well, especially because of the art direction. Yes, the art direction disguises it a lot. I think where like you could have picked up on that a lot sooner playing the game, and you could have like I just what it would have felt like to look at it and listen to music and go, wait a second, is this Kakariko Village? Wait a second. Yeah. What is <laughs> happening here? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, yeah, I love how the music with regard to the callbacks are handled because they are, they are excellent. Um, as far as original pieces go, um, this for one, one thing that has always bothered me um the soundtrack version of Dragon Roost versus the actual in-game one that's used, like any any rendition of Dragon Roost the, uh, Island that's not within the game one always has the little bass line that kicks in. Uh, like later on, like I think after the first verse of the song, it kicks in. Um, but for whatever reason, no, like not even, I was thinking like, oh, the HD remake, they're gonna, they said they were touching up on a little bit of the music. Maybe we'll get that bass line. Nope. Nope, still don't have it. I don't know why. It's such a great little... Like, I know there's not a lot of the island that you really get to sit on to really hear it, but there's enough time that it, it probably... I mean, it works on its own. Like, I always have loved the piece, period, even without it. it like, it's just, just the way that the soundscape for it is, is, is kind of built. But ah, I love that bass I line. wish that they had just kept it on the interior, like the way they did in Forest Haven, 
I hate that it goes to the house theme when you go inside Dragon Roost. It's just oh, like, yeah. why do they do that? That's true. I didn't, I didn't even thought about that contrast between the two. It that would is so much kind cooler of... if they did like a remix of it. Ah, oh, maybe if they like dynamically had the bass come in when you're inside or something. I, <laughs> I want that line. <laughs> I want it. Why? Why is this on the official soundtrack this way? I n- never understand. It confounds me. <laughs> because otherwise, when it's that rendition, I I love it. I can't say it's my favorite piece thing about, but it's just it is. Uh, really, really good. My favorite is definitely well. It's like a it's like a threefold thing. It's outside island, and Ariel's theme, and then of course the staff credits and the way that her theme comes in and makes me cry every time. <sighs> it is. It's really like good. one of those. Oh man, I, I'm just gonna say that it's the best theme in Zelda. 100. It's the best theme in Zelda. It's awesome. It's so <laughs> perfect. It's so oh. good. It's better than Zelda's lullaby. It's awesome. That's it. I love that. Yeah. I love Outset Island. So I'll much. talk about my favorite piece so in a much. second here, but I just want to bring up the dungeon music, which I, I figured I just would mention it for the sake of bringing it up, but it's really whatever Meh. in this game. It's fine. <laughs> it's except for Tower of the Gods. Tower of the Gods is great. I love Tower of the Gods. I think the Wind Temple is not too bad. Ta- Wind, Wind Temple is not too bad either. I like the instrumentation there and the kind of the overtones and when the cellos kind of come in with that kind of weirdly kind of malicious sounding undertone under it but it's it's it works and it kind of plays in but i really like i like the atmosphere in tower of gods even if it's not like a catchy piece nothing else really comes close to the previous two games with respect to that which is kind of a, a bummer um if i was gonna mention some special mentions everyone and their mother loves mulgaris theme which i do i do too <laughs> so i wanted to mention it i want to mention it anyway it's always worth mentioning it's such a what a, just a very unique piece in its choice of instruments. And it's got a really strong melody to it as well, which most of the other themes, ah, well, most of the other themes do to some degree. They have actually, they're not as memorable, but they definitely have a strong, like, like driving melody to them. The Mulgaris theme is just great for so many reasons. Um, my favorite, shoot, I might have to be right there with you with the, with the credits theme, but I really do love the great sea especially when it hits in the second the second verse it's so good because the rent it's different it's a different um different melody for that part of it and it's driven by different instruments like it's driven by the strings instead of the horns and i love 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 how that sounds um my it it doesn't count as a new piece but the rendition is unbelievable it's so good and especially considering so much of the like the music that was met that was had callbacks in it was a lot more subtle about it. Once you get to the end and you get the Hyrule Castle theme done rendered in piano, but like on a piano, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, I and it's such. I think it helps that the entire moment is tied together so well by that. That's even just if I can remark even a little bit more on music in the cutscenes particular. I mean the cutscene music is fine, but that is a really big distinction is Ocarina and Majora's Mask had video game music and Wind Waker I mean it has video game music I'm not gonna say it has movie music that's not (laughs) but but, but it is a cinema it's got cinematic music but it does have these these more um I guess if we're gonna call them that cinematic moments and they they have music with them Uh, and they're, they're nice additions but I think uh, that's just the Hyrule Castle theme being placed where it's at is yeah amazing. I like the uh, the one that gets me is um, when the pirates depart and the music that plays when 
they set off and Link's waving goodbye. Yeah. I really like that one. That one's good, and I like the refrain back to it at the end as well with the with the kind of almost <sighs> ocarina-esque <heart>. <laughs> kind of choir with it. Ooh. Yeah, it's nice. I don't know. That's one of those that I, I think about it, and it's so linked to the game to me, no pun intended, and then I remember that I'm like, yeah, that's cutscene music. But it makes such an impact so quickly. Well, this is a big one. Let's... <laughs> Let's see how we can get through it. Uh, talking about art direction. Uh, I will start off and say that uh, Nintendo was right. All of us were wrong. <laughs> uh, and you can tell because all you had to do was add dynamic lighting to Wind Waker HD. And it's like one of the most beautiful games ever played. <laughs> Literally playing that game and I'm like, this is gorgeous. The blue, I mean, I also just like, I prefer the color palette of the remake. I like the sort of cyan tint to everything. Whereas, uh, actually it's interesting to look at the official art for the two games that the original has actually kind of a darker tone to its style and has like, yeah. in all of the arts, there art, in all of the official artwork, there's like these intense brush strokes that line the characters. This like dark, you know, this black, you know, very improvised sort of line art feel. And when you look at the official art supplied for the remake, they're, it, they almost look like 3D models. They're missing any sort of line art. They look like 3D renderings. And so that yeah. was like definitely a choice that they made. And then we kind of talked about this a little bit, but the, the source lighting in the original is actually better. <laughs> Um, yeah. They have such great <laughs> contrast whenever you're close to a light source where it lights up the character, but it doesn't reveal the model. And it, there's always like this very stark fall off into black. And I don't know. I, I, my guess with the remake is that either they liked that, which interesting, guys. Interesting. <laughs> if you were like, this looks good. But my <laughs> idea with it is probably it was just it's probably very difficult to bring in the lighting engine that they did and get it to also do the other things that they wanted. That's yeah, my guess is that that was just a struggle. They just couldn't nail both of it on there. I, I wish maybe if we get another port, maybe <laughs> another port, maybe they'll, I just, I, I don't even switch. Um, They're, they won't may, fix that. Maybe. I'll tell you right now. They will never, fix no, that. they probably won't. That was like a, that was a actually like a Nintendo focused team effort. But to, I, I think it does, what that. it does show in that little bit that you see the level of sophistication that, a game in 2002 was working with yeah. to be able to create that because again my, my guess that I'm pulling out here is that the lighting engine that they threw in to do all these dynamic shadows and everything that show up in the remake which is awesome and it brings the game so it makes it so alive and so yeah, yeah it's just like wonderful when I was playing it I was like did the original really not have all of these amazing shadows and like hits of light everywhere? No, it yeah. doesn't. Uh, <laughs> I think that <laughs> it was probably just some sort of implementation with that and the modern technology. Whereas the original is much more flat across the board and then has those very high contrast moments like with Kamali. I mostly just think about like Kamali and like the Din's Pearl. Oh yeah, it's, the way like the lighting kind of yeah, had like or, a heavy uh, contrast like, on like it in the original. When the Triforce appears in front of Tetra, like those are a couple of moments that like a hundred percent better yeah. than the original. Yeah, 
because that kind of heavy contrast with the lighting right in their face with that it's yeah it's very different i was that's the particular when you brought that i was like oh yeah i remember that like how that lighting looked in the original it's weird especially looking back on it with everything we know about the series up to now that they they just were able to so effectively nail the art direction of their game that there's not like a single thing out of this game that feels in any way out of place it's just i don't know everything the effort and the care that went to make everything fit in this world and to make this world believable is astonishing i mean just between like the particle effect like every like you know ocarina majora's mask like they have they have a clear you know they have a clear sense of art direction they have a clear sense of style they go for but there's plenty of things like not not even a bad way. It's just more like they they're like like the like the the effects and and other aspects of the game that they just are like, yep, this fits, it works, and it's and it's fine. There's nothing like really wrong with it. But like all the like even just the effects in Wind Waker and the environments and the way everything reacts and the way the explosions it moves, the explosions are such a big like or anything even, uh, like the I think. The like dust that kicks up like under your feet. Yeah, or like you throw a rock and it breaks, and the way like the powder kind of kind of like moves. Everything, yeah. the way it moves and looks, plays such a huge part into how the set, like how the art direction works as well. It's like it's not just the fact that it's at a standstill and you see the cell shading. You're like, that's neat. It's like everything moves. Like even the way Link animates at a standstill is it's very energetic and not like he's like like bouncing around or anything up and down like crazy just that like he's just every part of him is in some way moving yeah and and that applies to like all the characters like the animations they give him even if they have like unique animations they still move in a way that it's um i don't i don't know how they well like link has like these expressive eyes that like you can just stare at him you can watch him like look around or it's funny when he enters a fight he has like different expressions on his face yeah and then you go back and you look at the blankness of (laughs) the n64 links who only you know react in cutscenes, and it's a it's a totally different I mean, feeling with no camera control you can't even get a look at their face to begin with during combat or anything like that true that's probably a pro yeah yeah <laughs> like that's the thing is i would even i would angle the camera a lot of times just to get a look at link during it because of uh all that and there's so like the degree like even just the the pupil sprites that they give his eyes like the amount that he has in re- like re- response to different things his uh pupils shrink a bit more when he does like a parry for example or like anytime, <laughs> anytime he's using like a uh, like a heftier weapon, if he's brandishing like a moblin spear or a uh, dark nut sword, he um, there's like a there's like a couple frames in there where <laughs> like his face is he's like clearly straining to pull the weapon and swing it down, and it's uh, I, all the it's and it blows my mind the amount of details that because like there's animations are one thing and it's still insane how good the animations are but the amount of like the expressions and the way they were matched to each and every individual little action and there's little details like him picking up it's harder to catch him doing it but when he's picking up like a heavy object he has like a frame as well whereas like pupils kind of kind of shrink as well and he picks it up and that struggle along with like the particle effects that come with it and it's just i don't know it's great I love playing this as this link, like the way he moves, the way all the, all the actions that you do are really, really snappy. I think the master sword during certain animations or like the sword in general bends in a cartoonish way when you're swinging it. 
which was always the weirdest thing to me. Like, I don't want to see it. And yet at the same time, it just works more than it should have any right to. Like when you're doing certain swings, like any swinging, like the sword, I, if it's, I think it's one of the like combo attacks from like the horizontal swing where he spins, like he kind of does like a sweep almost. And the sword has like a, you can almost see that it like bends and it looks bizarre. Like you're slapping someone with, <laughs> with your sword, which with the sound design, it kind of, I guess it kind of lines up, but it's just like, ah, I don't know. Everything. It's hard to comment on one part of the art style without coming out. Everything else comes together. As well I, have as a, I have a specific train of thought, which I think, I don't know, I found very interesting. So the Hyrule Historia kind of makes mention that with Ganondorf's design, that there are Eastern influences involved. And I've wanted to find like specific, I wanted to try to see if I could find like a specific period or something that was the source of inspiration. And I was not able to. So this is just my own conjecture, putting it together. But you get... I think more than we've seen at any point because a lot of this stuff has been very western very medieval inspired so here you see um you do see that but you also get sort of these eastern flourishes and you see it with like ganondorf's revamped design with like his kimono and even like the dual swords kind of has that sort of feeling um puppet ganon's like theme and design it kind of reminds me of sort of like chinese like sort of like dragon puppets hmm. yeah um you have like the fishmen which i think with like their their like ink it sort of evokes that sort of calligraphy um yeah. of more of a traditional like japanese style and then you also have well and then the king of red lions his Human design, not so much. That kind of more that and Hyrule Castle feel more typically medieval and Western, like the rest of the series. But his design as a boat, you know, is very, again, sort of that Chinese dragon flavor. And then the Koroks are very explicitly inspired by uh, like Kodama legends, which I think when we think of Kodama, a lot of people will just immediately go to the idea of Princess Mononoke, which I think kind of popularized that sort of idea of those characters. And there's definitely mm -hmm. a connection between Koroks and Kodama, but the Kodama themselves is like a Japanese idea of like spirits within trees. So, yeah. and all of these things kind of share this sort of shared old world sensibility even the fishmen who are definitely part of this new ocean Hyrule, they feel, and the fact that their information is very spotty, but they feel very <laughs> begotten to this old world. And I think the Great Sea in some ways feels like there's this connection between those that share the sea, between like the King of Red Lions and the Fishman and all of these characters. And then I think it's interesting to look at, see how you have these sort of competing high roles, this new world above ground, which does not remember that which is below it. And you have these old traditions that are like being forgotten and going by the wayside. Hmm. Yeah, definitely can't see any modern parallels with Japanese culture at all there. <laughs> definitely <laughs> no connection. <laughs> I think they're drawing on a lot of different resources here. And it's really interesting to see how they all come together. It's not as simple as just to say cartoon or anime. Like when you look at all the other aspects coming yeah, together, it's really there's interesting. A lot of plain, plainly Japanese influences, especially, I mean, you can just look at the original artwork, as you mentioned as well, with the hard lines and everything. Um, I mean, they, they cl clearly Nintendo loved it so much that they would keep that art style 
like even try like the most like Triforce Heroes being as recent as it is, you reuse the same link design. <laughs> so to this day, we're still getting. I mean, they struck gold with it. It was pretty brilliant. <laughs> it is. I I there was some interview I remember finding that they were like that showed they were clearly in love with it so much that they were kind of disheartened with the with the response. Yeah. Because it's just they clearly put an they enormous didn't understand. amount of care. Well, and yeah. I think I saw an interview with Miyamoto in which he said that I think it was Miyamoto. Basically, it could have been Onuma, um, talking about how the art style of Wind Waker was really—it was sort of treated as a referendum on Nintendo's direction that the company was making this sort of decision to go in this sort of childish direction and move away from mature content. Yeah, and they just didn't see it that way at all. They're like, it had no relation. We were just doing what we wanted to do. <laughs> and I think like another part was like, I guess people were also upset about Super Mario Sunshine. Oh. I think people were upset about Flood at the time. I don't know. I, yeah, that, that game has awesome, its own problems. So. <laughs> no, shut up. It's awesome. <laughs> I love Sunshine. I, I love it. I adore it. But there's, <laughs> but I guess at the time. A future season, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> may, may, we'll see. <laughs> but. For what it is, especially today, it's great. It's still excellent. This game, playing this game, it did it like obviously like the models aren't up to spec of today's standards, but it like it just doesn't it doesn't matter. It's yeah, such it a doesn't. it's so heavily diminished by how effective the style is. I think it, the thing that this game says to me is that they they were a lot more savvy than a lot of other people at the time, and yeah. they would have to. I don't know, I would say even try to maybe betray their own instincts just to appease people who hated this game. I think we can enjoy this game now because of the games that followed, that in relation to those, you can look back and say, well, Wind Waker is a shining high point, actually, when it got so much hatred. Yeah. Um, Because it, because, I mean, the HD remake came forth because they were trying to test out the limitations of the Wii U, and they were like, let's put in these Zelda games and, and see what happens. And Wind Waker looked the best out of Skyward Sword and Twilight Princess. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, oh, well, maybe people will want this game, and let's do it. <laughs> uh, they didn't, they were kind of skeptical because they would just remember that people hated the game <laughs> and the yeah. art style, but they thought it looked really good. And... You know, the game looked great when it came out, and it's you can still look at the GameCube, and it still looks pretty darn good. It, yeah. And I think that they had a real recognition of their limitations. And this is a game that 100% would not have worked without this art style. Because the sea is such a huge fundamental part of it, it needs... That was the most important thing that they had to get right. Because yeah. if it was the what water looked like in the 64 games, then yeah, it would have been just sterile and just, I don't think it would have been fun to sail on at all. Yeah. They nailed the ocean from a, from a visual standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. When I keep thinking about animation, I just keep thinking of the way everything moves and the ocean, especially when it moves up and down the way it does, but even just the, the animated texture on it of the the sea foam the kind of way it moves around for that to have worked well i mean clearly that the art style would have had to been picked and gone in this direction for that to have even worked but just trying to do that especially on the gamecube because you have that's putting into perspective there's you look back at gamecube era games and i love i mean i love that era of gaming there are a lot of games that look like trash (laughs) 
Yeah. And they <laughs> there are a lot of games that don't look good. <laughs> they didn't look like that to us at the time. No. They, they felt... Were, yeah. Yeah, I think with the GameCube, there was this sense, this sort of ahead of ourselves mentality. Especially, I remember looking at Melee and just being blown away. I was like, oh my gosh, you can see the texture of Mario's overalls. We are in the future. <laughs> and and I, I will say that I don't think we keep getting better and better. And I still think that was a huge point from like 64 to GameCube where we could actually approximate, you know, real looking people. Yeah. Uh, that you go, okay, this jump isn't going to be replicated again. But. <laughs> But <laughs> boy, I mean, you even look at some PS3 games, you even look at some PS3 games and you're like, eh, they look kind of rough. Yeah. And yeah, you look at old GameCube games and barely any of them hold up. I think like uh, this game, Luigi's Mansion is another good candidate. I think that game still looks pretty great. Yeah. For what I, it is. Yeah. I think just a strong art direction helped that game too. I think even just good animation as well. I wouldn't be surprised if there was some, actually it was, it was Nintendo EAD. So there would definitely be some carryover. I think they just, I don't know. It has, it has so much more to do with fidelity and, and something about the way they get everything to come together that it's just, it's totally convincing. Yeah. Well, they're just really good at working within their means. They get the most out of their hardware and they know what they can't do and they adjust accordingly. And so they try to put things in scope where they know it's going to look good. So we've sort of unwittingly gotten to this already, but let's, uh, let's talk a bit more about what this game draws on and how it sort of paves its way forward. I'll start off by saying that I kind of mentioned this in the Majora's Mask episode about Clock Town and that you had this area now that you could enter from multiple directions. Like this game takes that idea and like multiplies it by a thousand. And I don't think it gets enough credit, weirdly, for what that meant and how it removed the barriers and like the sort of gateways of most of the Zelda games. By letting you see things and maybe they were like, oh, I can't hook shot to that tree or I can't get up to here yet. But if for the most part, let you run around and see all of these things and then explore them from any angle. So I feel like the Great Sea gets like kind of a bad rap for like being this empty thing with nothing to do. But I really don't think that's true at all. I mean... First off, it's a much, much larger world than any other game so far. But also, I never really found myself just like sailing around being like, got to get to this spot, waiting, trying to get to this spot. Like, especially once you get bombs, like I really enjoy going to every platform I can. I like scouring the sea. I like getting joy pendants. I like going into submarines. I feel like you're always looking for something or... You decide to go past an island because maybe one of your treasure charts will be open there. And I always found myself with things to do on my journey. And I never really felt... There were things where I would be like, ah, you know what? I don't want to go on an island right now. I'll come back to that. There were times where I was like, yeah, whatever. I'll move on to the next thing and just make a note and then go back and comb through these things. I just don't really feel... I guess I could see that because there aren't large environments where you're on land, you know, that it could feel yeah. that way. But ultimately, how different is it running in an empty environment on land <laughs> or on horse versus just being in a boat? <laughs> yeah. Other than you actually 
get to just open your sail and sort of chill and look around versus having to like actively just walk towards through going wherever you're going. So it's like, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think, um, honestly, I think, you know, up to this point in this series, it's the closest you get to the original legend of Zelda in terms of the way that like the, the freedom you're given to purely just navigate around and just look into things and find out what you can and can't do. And Ocarina of Majora's Mask, like it not, it's not, you know, we've we've talked and we've given their the fair share of like praise towards their their overworlds for like, you know, mainly what they were what they were going for, but not what they were trying, you know. They're recognizing that they're clearly not trying to be these big open worlds, but they Yeah, are, and they couldn't do that. Yeah, they couldn't they couldn't do that. And they weren't they weren't meant to do that, but they were meant to be more of a sign of what's to come. But in many ways, that that um especially when it comes to signposting for things in the distance that you see and you're like, well, I want to get there. Wind Waker in, in, a, in that sense is like the purest example of that. Like yeah. it doesn't get any more pure than you see a silhouette of an island and you want to get towards it. And so you move towards it. And the way, like maybe people have issues with the, the lack of immediacy that comes with like sailing for something else. But I think the way that it's paced and the tone of it and everything like already just helps with that a lot. At least, if nothing else, playing on the Wii U with that with that map on the bottom does give you stuff to look over. Like, there's always charts yeah, to open up. Yeah, and it's up. definitely a huge thing that helps with the Wii U version is being able to have that map handy at all times. Or that yeah. I would be able to go and shuffle through my my inventory while sailing. And it definitely makes a huge difference, for sure. It really does strangely play a big part. And it's almost like you really are like seafaring, where it's like your ship is already taking its course. And you're just at that point, kind of you're trying to orient yourself and then pick out where you want to go and then moving towards that that location. Or you can just let your curiosity drive you. Or you can move on to the objectives, which are clearly marked on your map, too. And so that's a, that's a pretty sharp contrast from the direction that the series had pretty much pretty swiftly taken away from. And not even in a bad way. But just so much more the way that Link to the Past was going with its more deliberately structured world design and then Ocarina, well, Link's Awakening and then Link, Ocarina kind of following up on that and still, you know, implementing exploration in a, a unique kind of way that's different from the original. But it, you know, clearly is still a step away from it. And it's to kind of revisit it in this manner. I'm wondering if there were interviews that talked about it, but they, they clearly were trying to go after that original sense of exploration. And I think that's a thing that still has me come back to this game. It could be a little harder nowadays, but like even still, like I think just the way the execution of everything, even despite the emptiness, makes that exploration really, really enticing in this game. Yeah. Here's a question for you that I've always, despite how much I enjoy the sea, and I think now I think I'm able to accept it more, maybe because we've had other games and whatnot, and you know, a certain game that's been released that solves all my problems and made dreams come true <laughs> that maybe it's easier to just accept other games for what they are now that you aren't relying on them all so much to give you everything that yeah. you can take what's good from all of them and enjoy that but as a kid i think i always had this sense of longing and it really plays into the sense of the game's themes that it always leaves you longing for certain things or dreaming of certain things and never giving them to you <laughs> that i always wanted I loved Ocarina so much and I wanted these open spaces to run around in and I just wanted that game again. And so when I go down to Hyrule for the first time, I'm just like, oh, I just want to spend more time here. And how much of that I wonder is just nostalgia or just the ideas wrapped up in what a Zelda game should be and what I want to do. Hmm. 
And is there, was there a missed opportunity if they had more time that they actually could have incorporated seeing more of old Hyrule? Did you ever feel that sort of way that you wished that you could go out and explore yeah. Wind Waker's version of Hyrule? There's another part of me that feels <laughs> like even that limited part we see, I go, oh, this wouldn't have been nearly as attractive as the Great Sea is. This yeah. is kind of ugly. <laughs> Uh, it, it it is i guess because it doesn't get the the lighting from the outside or it doesn't i mean i guess even just moving around on terrain like i guess because you get so little exposure to a lot of terrain in this game you don't realize that it's kind of well not so much uh, well i guess it is ugly in a way that the there's not a lot of polygons to it so it's not really well shaped but it works for islands um, maybe it's that you get those linear like entrances and exits in Hyrule where I think maybe for me it's this recognition of what I wish it was but also like when I put into an idea of the Great Sea is so expansive and wonderful and open and there's no way that they could have done that in Hyrule because they didn't have the technology to do it like the Great Sea is also a limitation of the technology that to have this open world it kind of needs to be there to be this bridge between all of these things because they weren't going to be able to create land masses to connect all of these things and have it be super open and be able to do that on a GameCube. It was just not going to be possible. Yeah. So maybe it's more so of recognition of like, as soon as you're in there, you're like, it's like the only place where you have like those linear one entrance, one exit. Yeah. On a set path. It makes the kingdom of Hyrule feel a little bit hollow and small yeah it definitely feels very hollow but there's a part of me that thinks that maybe that would have been unavoidable that the choice they made was actually the right one yeah and that any attempt at like a true representation of hyrule would have just been like a cart i think if it was a cartoony version of like ocarina of times hyrule it would feel more frustrating yeah but because it's the art style in combination with the great sea and with that sailing mechanic it's such a huge departure that it actually, this game is so bold, but it's those combination of things working in tandem that almost makes me believe that it couldn't have worked any other way. This art style yeah. would not have worked if it was straight up on land. And the game wouldn't have worked. They all, it needs each other. It needs, they, those two things need each other. Yeah, it's like the, uh, it's like the callbacks in the music that, that feel deliberately subtle, that, but like also by being so distinct at the same time. That it kind of it kind of creates that weird sensation because I I've I've thought about I haven't thought about it in a while but I always at least as a kid playing this game I always thought it's just like man it would have been kind of cool just to go out check out more stuff like it it strangely plays really well into the theme of the game that you don't really get much of an attachment to Hyrule like it plays really well in terms of being Link and just being like I'm just some island kid who I just happen to have the courage to do what's needed to be done but. Like the fact that Link and Tetra feel, even though they're they're connected as far as they're like the I don't know if even this Link's like an incarnation or anything reincarnation or not. Well, Ganwerf calls him that, but it seems like plainly like the way the King of Hyrule talks about him that he's not. He just happens to have the character to 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 be a hero. Um, it almost seems like it fits the theme of the game that there's a disconnect that Link and Tetra really don't have a connection to Hyrule. They're just being caught up in effectively a millennia or like maybe hundreds of like, you know, I mean not millennia, but centuries long conflict effectively and their contribution to resolving it. Like they're, they effectively, they get to find new land to have hope for in that sense. And so with, it's weird because in one sense, I feel like there maybe should have been just a little more 
to Hyrule. And in a sense, the way you put it, the fact that it's so dissonant, so disconnected from what Hyrule and Ocarina looks like, even though this game is so plainly connecting itself to Ocarina of Time, it's so weird what it does visually to not actually carry on like a physical, literal continuity with that game. And so seeing Hyrule, Cal- yeah, it's weird being in Hyrule and thinking like, man, they could have done a lot more with this. And and maybe maybe there were plans. Maybe that was the, the intention with the temples, at least, and why they end up just being islands that you, you go down into. And the, t- and the temples are technically temples that are located under the sea. Um, and it would have been kind of cool to reach that in some capacity instead. But and yeah, I think I think, yeah, I think I would have liked to have at least seen a little bit. I think if you could have sailed on that big lake at least gone to those like dungeons and maybe there's a couple side things, even if it wasn't oh, that much. That would have been so cool. <laughs> I, I just thinking about that is like, ah, that'd be, that'd be kind of cool. If Doesn't you could just it just get feel like sometimes more. that you think about, I think about this game sometimes and I'm like, oh, I wish we had like a true sequel. It just feels like yeah. within this game is like the greatest Zelda game of all time where you get like so close and open world and you get Hyrule and you get the ocean and it's so close. Uh, it's, it is so close to being, there's so much that like in in the what works and what they put the effort into to getting complete and working the way it does it's great it's so it's so good and so effective but yeah it's like you you look out on the back side of how like when you in the first place you really the docking area that you you kind of land in and you look out it's like yeah you can see some expanse of it and it's the only part of the game that like well i mean the not having two more dungeons is obviously a part that's felt just by the nature of the scope of the game and not having that but it's the other part of the game that you actually can like physically see and just be like it feels like i'm not getting everything i'm supposed to and especially when you think of like high will field and ocarina of time with its use of objects in the distance to kind of engage you um even the layout of the land like you you yeah you can look up and see ganon's tower but it's not like really evident it almost doesn't feel like it was at least the path to it feels like weirdly undercooked where you get these yeah. weird selection of enemies yeah. to fight before you have a hookshot puzzle to cross gaps. And then that's, that's yeah. it. It's a little <laughs> it's, wonky. It's super weird. And with, especially because the, the contrast between the great sea and Hyrule, which was a, the physical terrain that the ocean sits on, yeah, it kind of sits on that strange, uncanny line between of like definitely unfinished and maybe this is what they were going for. Yeah. I I want to talk about we've talked a lot of positives of what this game introduced. I want to talk about a couple more of those, I guess, and then dive into I think you see the bad. Well, <laughs> what what we see here bad, that's but... sort of the start of a different feeling of zelda i guess which is funny because when i think about all these open world things i'm like well but all of this is so successful and all of this is so bold but um i'll first off say that this game fixes my issues with the n64 combat in that it has like my big issue with like ocarina of time when we did that episode was that you could fight a couple of like sword enemies or like, you know, sword fighting enemies. And literally like the second one would just wait its turn. If it wasn't yeah. locked, if you weren't locked onto it, it just wouldn't attack you. It would just like dance around you. Yeah. Um, this game totally throws it out the window, throws 
hordes of enemies at you and it's awesome. And they interact with each other. They will lose their items. They will go pick up other enemies' items. When they swing their swords, they'll hurt other enemies in the vicinity. <laughs> like, you can hurt multiple... Like, they just all come at you. And it's so much fun. It's yeah. really, really dynamic. Yeah, the enemy AI is just so much more improved. The enemies are so expressive. You have, like, the spoils that you can steal from them. And so all those encounters feel like way more impactful. And then kind of roping into that, the use of being able to take enemies' items and solve puzzles with them is really brilliant, like really wonderful. And the way that it interacts with the physics and like being able to take like Deku sticks from enemies, then like those on fire to be able to throw them is yeah. also a really, really great thing. I just think that the physics engine and the interactivity of the items all together it's such a step up, like the Deku leaf and like flying around on that and using the wind to interact with that item, but also then being able to blow things around with it and solve puzzles that way. You know, all of these things, I just think that they're really, I don't know, there's a lot of really nice crossover. And it's like the first time since Link's Awakening that we see you being able to use like two items in concert like the iron boots and the hook shot yeah i i love that <laughs> <laughs> i think it's really smart um you know so i think that you see a really cool level of sophistication and building on all of those systems and creating something that feels really robust and very smooth and comfortable to play and then we get into <laughs> despite all of these things weirdly a sort of beginning of a Zelda formula that starts to become kind of stale. And maybe you can speak to that or where this game kind of goes wrong. Yeah. Um, one thing, I, at least on a, on a side I want to compliment before even diving into that, the way en enemies and the dungeon layout are integrated together is actually a pretty big step up from Ocarina of Majora's Mask. Both of those games had like as far as, as even though even as good as their dungeon design was and they are and they're really good and i'd still consider them definitely better than wind wakers the integration of enemies into the environments were rarely ever it was rarely ever a cohesive thing they were usually kept separate like the the traps you would deal with versus the enemies that you had it it was there like later in the game but for the most part it kind of felt fairly isolated from each other and here, like just thinking about the number of obstacles in which there are enemies close by to like hazards or significant setbacks, like if you got hit and you'd just be sent down like 20 feet because... <laughs> or like there are literally enemies that you use and you kind of did this with um, Armos in the 64 games, but not nearly to this degree where we have like multiple enemy types that you can use to like put to put on switches. Yeah. Yeah, I think the armos in this game get used to a similar, probably probably even greater effect uh, in the a number armos, of dungeons. The uh, armos, the the chews, the like black chew, yeah. chews, and uh, the oh the the little the fire guys that curl up in a boss. Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. Oh, those things are so wonky to deal with though. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think the integration of enemies both within puzzles and. And also just with the dungeon layouts, even as simple as they can be, they there's they're more veritable obstacles in this game compared to the previous ones. I think they did it like I didn't I didn't really think about it much 
mostly because a lot of them can be really simple to deal with, but they still like, they, yeah, their, their placement and the way the layouts are designed around them more. It's, uh, it's definitely done a lot better for sure to go into the drawbacks or really, I guess the formula that kind of really starts to kind of feel a bit rough and you, you feel bits of it. Well, I would say it's definitely the most felt here because the dungeons are so simple, but it seems like they were content instead of like part of me wants to excuse it is that the, the physics being as sophisticated as they are that they didn't want to overcomplicate the premises of like the dungeons and what you'd have to deal with and so i think they just kind of leaned more into puzzles around the use of objects in different elements and we're just like yep that will work fine on its own and it, i mean it generally does they're generally fine like they're they're good and just the whole system itself is is fantastic but it, it ends up striking a bit hollow on the whole we teach each of the dungeons where I'm like, most of the time, I'm like, I was always wondering, like one of those fears that I felt of going to Ocarina and Majora's Mask was being like, are these just like, I feel like I'm just gonna get through the dungeons for the sake of getting the dun- through the dungeons so I can do more exploration and didn't feel that. And I was like, is that, and then looking forward to this game, I'm like, I think that came from this game. And yeah, and I was trying to wonder more about where that specifically came from. And I think that has to do, well, for one, <laughs> the remark on Mario levels again is, is a like the probably the most apt way of describing it and i think why mario levels are mario levels is because mario's movement is on its very own is dynamic there's a very dynamic nature to how you you move around and the kind of flexibility that comes with it and the challenges the way they they work with that flexibility means that there's a lot of finesse to control even if that's not the intention of the design with wind waker here it really like once you solve a puzzle, it's just kind of known in your mind. And many of them, like, just because of, like, I think they do a better job of avoiding it here to some degree. It's still kind of obvious at times, especially when the block puzzles do come back in the later dungeons. It's pretty, it's pretty plain. The use of physics does help a lot with just making them at least interesting and entertaining to get through. I think of the, uh, the, uh, one of the rooms in the wind temple with the Deku leaf that you're going up on wind currents and you're, you're trying to open up these gates and move through while wizards are assaulting you. That one's, that's pretty great. That's, that's a pretty nice room on its own, right? Like there's nothing like complicated about it, but it's just, it's fun. It's a great use of items, great use of challenge of the enemies. But like, um, that's one of the better examples, but many of the other things it's, uh, it's a lot simpler than that. And there's really not much to it. And so on replays, especially it just can feel a bit mindless and yeah, maybe my memorization can help me kind of coast through Ocarina and Majora's Mask as well. But I think there's a little more to them that I still have to be, I still have to be pretty engaged when playing those. And that's just the thing is like when you, when the game effectively has a guiding hand that moves you through the dungeons in a specific way, and most of the execution is very, very simple. It's a matter of you walk up and you grab the thing and you take it over to the other thing. And sometimes you have to do a little bit of maneuvering. The box puzzles with the water with the water levels rising up and down in uh, Tower of the Gods is a pretty great example of a little bit more modularity with it where you have to actually set up your own solution and then have to be able to cross it. It's pretty cool. Um, but there's really not enough of that. And none of that also integrates with the larger scheme of the temple either. And I think both of those in tandem, the result is you're, you know, you're moment by moment engaged in what you're doing, but in the grander scheme, you're not really invested at all. You're kind of just taking it a piece at a time. Yeah. And then you don't really get a chance to like reflect on that much at all. And that ends up just kind of, unfortunately, kind of carrying forward pretty strong, you know, well, effectively the next two games is it carries forward with that. And it's kind of a bummer because it, you know, I know a lot of people that love 
the dungeons in Zelda games in general, which I used to just be like, ah, eh, more of an exploration guy, but dungeons used like generally had that exploration element as a part of them. They were just more focused, which I don't have a problem with. I think that's a great part of the, the contrast. That always was a, I think a point that the series managed to copy from the original and carry forward really, really well. And here, this distinction, especially with the ocean, feels like a hard line uh, cut off between the two, where you're now approaching things in a thousand different ways out in the ocean, but in the dungeon, you have a single, like a single directed way to approach something. And the kind of hard line, it, it's it's almost like too disconnected with respect to yeah. that. And it kind of shows up in the pacing of the story as well, in that Every time I play this game, I'm always like, which dungeon am I going to do first? The Earth Temple or the Wind Temple? And I, I remember there is no choice. And yeah. It, it, why? <laughs> I always keep thinking there's a choice, but there's, there's it doesn't none. make a difference. <laughs> it doesn't make a difference. And none. it doesn't make any sense why. Ah, and it's, it's, it's not arbitrary. Like you use the mirror shield. It, it gets worse temple. later, not in later games, but here it just, because of how it's done, it's so arbitrary. Yeah, well, and it also doesn't even make sense because on your map it throws out. It's like the build the build up to those is so great because it's basically like, hey, you gotta fix your master sword. Like a lot of this stuff is surprisingly, at least after I guess like after Tower of the Gods or even after you get the pearls, to an extent, even the I guess they mark it on your map, but even placing the pearls feels like you're sort of left to your own devices, and it's kind of fun. Yeah. Um. And the game is pretty good in its later stages about not feeling like you're locked into a story section. It it does do that to you in the beginning, but I almost forgive it because I think the pacing of the story, I don't know, it all kind of pays off and it makes sense because they have to block you off from seeing Great Fish Isle in the beginning because it's going to get destroyed so you can't see it. Um, and they have to like block you from going back to Forsaken Fortress. And like... Before the game lets you turns you loose, it wants to be like, "Hey, you gotta go save your." Si-. I mean, I don't know. I can I can justify it in a way that the story feels natural enough to me that it doesn't feel like it's arbitrarily blocking me off for no reason at times. Yeah. Um, and I also think that it. I, I think you have to also view it in a certain way, in that Majora's Mask definitely blocks you off from things, which we talked about last episode. And it partially needs to because the game would be too overwhelming with its time mechanic if it just turned you loose. Yeah. I get it. But it is blocked off and it is segmented. Ocarina of Time, we think of it as being very open, but what I will say is it actually is more segmented than you think it is because it locks a whole aspect of its world behind time travel mechanic. Yeah. You don't realize that or think about it because you don't see it and you separate those two things in your mind, but technically you are having some sort of separation between early game and late game material because of the way it does that. Yeah. Um, and you can't get to that stuff until you, you know, cross over. So that's a thing. And here they're having to gate off some of those things because they're still going off of the same progression of story. I I think that's maybe where the criticism can come from is that you have a game that's all about the open world and the ocean. And if you can see something, you go there and whatnot, but it's also still trying to drag along this sort of get three, then do this sort of formula. But it also, it it does and it doesn't. I mean, it, it, it's, one of the things that I, I noted playing this and thinking about it, it, it's sort of an inverse of Ocarina of Time where that game throws you in Kokiri Forest and you do all these things and you feel trapped in that forest and then it lets you go. 
uh, and it's a huge moment hitting Hyrule Field for the first time. And yeah. this game is sort of the opposite, where it, it you can literally look out into the ocean and see a sense of a whole world being there, hmm. you know? Yeah. And then you sort of get funneled through, you go with the pirates, and then you do the Forsaken Fortress, and then for me, it's like, then you... <laughs> Then you show up in Windfall, and instead of this being like, ah, oh, you're off into the open air on adventure, like, the, the, the game's big moment is people, civilization. Like, that's its big breath, is like, there are people in this world <laughs> other than you. Uh, and that's how you set off from it. All that to say that it, it feels more confined in a way, but I think that it really is just sort of... It's interesting how I do think that the story, while beholden in some ways to this old formula takes its own directions at times in ways that feels best to it. And the Triforce quest is also emblematic of that, where I think if you had more dungeons, the game would feel more torn between these two halves, a traditional Zelda game yeah. <laughs> structure and this open sea. And I think that the Triforce quest actually is a boon for the game because it allows itself to take advantage of these unique features. But yeah, I mean, I can see the criticism that it, that formula and that it's so distant from what this game is that it feels sort of, I don't know, tacked on maybe. Yeah. What the, the dungeons or the, um, I guess the dungeons or the get three, get the master sword sort of deal. But I, I also think like, I, I say that, but I think that something like the diversion to go to the great fish and go get the bombs from the pirates and whatnot and those sections and then go to outset. I like all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of do. I kind of I do like, like the windfall segment. I still do kind of like the way that the game puts you in these situations in which it, it does feel like the way forward may not be exactly what you predicted, that it will do have the same functions as other games, as other Zelda games, but it will not put you on the exact same. You aren't doing, especially in the latter stages of the game, you aren't always doing this, go to a place, figure out what's going on with the place, figure out how you're gonna get into the dungeon at this place, do the dungeon, now oh, they're happy. And then you go out and you figure out where their next dungeon is and you figure out, well, well, what do I need to do for these people so I can get into the dungeon? And then you do that. Yeah. I, it, that tedium <laughs> that <laughs> I, I don't really feel that here because you don't. Yeah. I think that it feels small and kind of undersold in that way because then you just go back and grab Medley or Makar. But the way that the game at the end leaves you to sort of, hey, you need some arrows. Maybe you figure out where you're supposed to get that. It kind of leaves it in your hands. Like, hey, maybe you should go get a song. Oh, like it spells all these things out to you in hints, but it really puts it in your hands to get the iron boots and to get the power bracelet. And so I think, but yes, I will say that it's a huge miss in how open-ended it leaves that whole process and then forces you to do them in order. It doesn't make any <laughs> yeah. sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's I'll, so yeah. open and then it's not. I don't, that I, part is weird. I, yeah, <laughs> it would not have been that difficult to to have the script written in a way that would have either left it open-ended or to have a A root, B root kind of um kind of yeah, script for that it wasn't it, they didn't, it, it there's wasn't not that much to rewrite to have made it <laughs> to exactly. make it work the it's way like it needs to dialogue or change the animation depending on what you do first who cares yeah 
Yeah, and it's because it's not like there was any amount of sequences that followed right after when you completed both. It was just that you get a trigger where the King of Red Lions is like, all right, well, in order to actually go back down, you need to prove yourself by getting the Triforce. So all it really does is that, which it doesn't wouldn't matter where you triggered that from. Yeah. So, yeah, I can I can agree. Like as much as I don't find it as exciting because you don't have most of your equipment, really what I look forward to is I mean that that big break from at post you know Master Sword Forsaken Fortress Part Two. Suddenly you've amassed like a bunch more items and you have access to a ton more in the process. And I just I think it works. I think I think if it, if the story didn't pay off as well as it did, I think I would I don't know if maybe resent but just not be as okay with the heavy structure in the first chunk of the game. But I do appreciate that at least like it's not, it doesn't feel like a like they you know they still make it clear that you're kind of on a path for a bit. But once it opens up, like the game really doesn't get in your way apart from Wind Temple, Earth Temple dilemma, and that and that's which is like that's what I really really appreciate is there isn't any you're not continued to be funneled more into it's like okay now you did the first half now you get to just do more of that but it's a bit harder and a little more interesting or something like that like it kind of. You know, you you got to get a just by the nature of how you were moving around to get to at least the first two islands. You know, you got to get at least a sense of things, and you're also, yeah, it kind of works a bit more that for like you know for the start of the game, you're on outset, which you know if you decided to check your map at the time, you're like, okay, I'm way down here. Then you're up at Forsaken, and you're like, oh, I guess I'm way over here now. And I mean, most of the time, maybe someone wouldn't be thinking consciously thinking to check their map to see what island they're on because at that point, they've never actually you know actively on their own volition travel to an island because they can't yet then you get placed on windfall and then you're finally being told to kind of check out these two corners kind of out in the top right then bottom right and then it's like all right gotta go here but now you've effectively hit every corner of the map and so i can i can at least appreciate even if it's like from a like a gameplay standpoint it's not the most fun i can appreciate the way that it kind of has the player hit every corner and and kind of works them through and, and again, it also really helps that the story pays off as well as it does, like more yeah. than it really has any right to. Yes. And it and it does so, to talk a little bit about the story too, it does so with very, not so much very little, but just like they, they're able to insinuate a lot and make a lot of great connections. They just, they let so much of the game speak for itself. And the, the smaller connections, Tetra really has all the, the connections at the end of the day, but they just kind of let all that speak. And so I think it, it helps a lot that at least, you know, when you're doing that first third of the game, you're getting introdu- like introduced to all these moving parts. And then you get to see Tetra initially and then seeing her a second, like when you see her a second time, the game paced it just right. That when you're back, it's like you have the Master Sword, you're more prepared than ever. Uh, but Tetra's still giving you flack because she's just got to give you flack. That's just Tetra, <laughs> and but it, but it works. And some some things like her noticing the Master Sword on you and just being like, "What? Like, who are you? And like, are you really who I think you might be?" And so I like that. There's lots of things like that. That even if you're a Zelda vet up to this point, like okay, maybe maybe the twist with Tetra herself was obvious because of Ocarina. But like everything else, as far as how everything ties together is always, like, it just works. So even when you have that big disconnect between bringing Tetra to Hyrule and doing the dungeons and then going back down, like, there's a big gap, and it seems like that would have a detrimental effect on how the story ends up connecting and hitting at the end of the day, and yet it, like, 
I guess because of so much of your connection with the Great Sea, it works. I like the touch at the end when you go back down there and you see that the statue is broken. Yeah. And you're like, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's not supposed to be like that. <laughs> no. Oh, no. And I mean, like, you know before you go down there, like, oh, she's been, you know, taken. You know, but it, it's all the little... I don't know. It's all the little things. It's like the small nuance that gets filtered through into this game. It's the humanization of Ganondorf as a character that you yeah. never really get to see. That yeah. he, I don't know that that the King of Red Lions isn't everything he's made out to be, and that he's clearly hiding things from you, and especially like the touch of these characters speaking in like ancient Hylian around you and you not knowing what they are saying, like your first playthrough, there's a mystery and it all, yeah, it's one of those rare games. And especially in the Zelda series, it's one of those rare points where the gameplay and the story and like the metaphors and even just like the little things that other people say in the world where it all combines to be surprisingly like surprisingly rich from a thematic standpoint <laughs> yeah and this even co like comparing this with previous stories like the zelda story and, it, and it's still i mean it still remains just as true today that zelda storylines like the main the actual line like the plot of it like following it and everything they're they're fine they're serviceable like link to the past what makes it hit has to has more to do with the framing and the event that takes place of its beginning and ending and less with the actual overarching narrative like it's it's there and it's fine and it doesn't need to do anything more than that and the same could be said for ocarina majora's mask but what ocarina majora's mask contributed to and what's contrasted so heavily is that maybe they're like their stories are simple but the it's the it's the implications and the impact uh on the world and it's like how both the games use their mechanics to do that and Wind Waker doesn't have that as much. Like in a sense, it it already, it's almost like all those effects already took place because you have yes. the ocean. Yes. And which is very different because you're effectively just there from the start. Like you as the player only You're know doing the an sea. autopsy on the world versus yeah. seeing the kind of <laughs> changes and seeing the patterns and whatnot of like the 64 games. Here, yeah, you get way more of like what has become of this place. Yeah. And you're effectively, like, the main mechanic of the game draws on the fact that it's like, yep, you're swimming on top of flooded Hyrule. That's basically yeah. what you're doing. And <laughs> it's it, I, I don't get it. I don't get how it works as well as it does. But just the fact that that, that kind of connection that you get. You know, it's an example to me of, and I had this experience while playing Fire Emblem Three Houses, um, because <laughs> your protagonist character in that game is kind of a freaking weirdo. And the whole time I'm playing this game and I'm going, does everyone realize like how strange I am? Like, <laughs> do we acknowledge this? And the game at some point like definitely acknowledges it and pays it attention. And is like, yeah, it's really strange that you don't know anything and you're very <laughs> confused. But I mean, okay, I, well, I don't really want to get into spoilers of Fire Emblem, so sorry, I don't know, skip ahead 30 seconds. So this isn't really meant to be a spoiler. It, it's not like a hardcore, like, I'm an amnesiac. It's just like you don't know things. You're just an incredibly ignorant person who knows so little <laughs> about the place that they're from. Yeah. Uh, it would be like growing up in the United States and like not knowing the history between Americans and the British. <laughs> <laughs> and someone was like, I'm sorry, did you go to school? <laughs> 
<laughs> not like, did you forget everything about who you are? It's like, literally, <laughs> did you get an education? Uh, and the game, uh, it's, it's one of those things that is a curiosity of having like that sort of player character in which the game needs to give you exposition. So you have to sort of be learning about the world but it doesn't make sense because you've been there your whole life. You're not like a foreign person coming into the world and the game explains it away. Yeah. Anyways, I say that to say that the wind waker does a similar thing in which it takes the limitations of in the gaminess of it and actually makes a thematic statement about it. Yeah. So you're playing wind waker and you're like, this is not a reasonable world in any way, shape or form. It does not make any sense. <laughs> How is anyone alive? Where does the food come from? You really can't think about it too hard because <laughs> you'll get really confused. Yeah. You're like this amount of ocean and islands does not make any sense. <laughs> Outside <laughs> Island is like the most realistic, like these islands don't even have beaches. Like it doesn't. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Part of that is 100% has to be a technological limitation that they couldn't build these beautiful, wonderful, rich islands uh, because it was a GameCube game. Yeah. But the other thing being that they explicitly give a reason for it in the story of saying these are mountaintops. Yep. And it's like a really great example of taking the limitations and finding a way to like wrap a story around in it and give you an explanation. And I just appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. And just think about it. Like, I guess the main thing I was trying to get at too is just like, this is... I have to even be as bold as to say it's like the first maybe even only time that the the main storyline of a zelda game is so effective like within its own right with what it does in comparison to ocarina majora where it's more laced within the world itself just by the nature of exploration like it's done like we get we get like a storyline that is delivered to us in a more stricter tighter way and yet it's done exceedingly well and done with very very little at the end of the day and and kind of even finishing your thoughts on the nature of like the great sea and why i love the ending of this game so much and why everything comes together as well as it does is you're working with again you're you're dealing with a ganondorf who he effectively he's like a centuries old veteran of of tasting failure having the kingdom (laughs) flooded on him basically having everything taken away from him and and you get you get that combination, and I've seen in comments on videos like to, like when I was looking up this, especially the last cutscene, just to watch it again. People were like, "Oh, well, it turns out Gandorf was the good guy all along." I'm like, "No, it's not that simple. <laughs> it's not like, but it, I like I like that it's not that simple. Yeah. In one sense, it's it's clear that the harshness of the environment he dealt with made him yearn for Hyrule. I mean, he specifically says he coveted that win in that sense, and that that kind of that nature of that." just by viewing him in Ocarina of Time makes it plain that it's like, yeah, he might've wanted like this because of the harsh environment he lived in, but he also was a power hungry maniac. And as soon as, oh, that scene, every time I watch it, every time I see the scene where the king ends up, it's it's kind of contrived the, the way tri- it happens. Touching the Triforce. Because <laughs> you have yeah. to physically touch the Triforce, which to be fair, yeah, I think the past kind of was... All about that, but it was really abstract. And Ocarina of Time is how it he as caught Ganondorf monologuing, he just slipped yeah. right in there <laughs> to talking the whole time. And then it get oh that laugh, like <laughs> the the one time we get voice acting. I mean, I guess it is, but it's a laugh. But it's so delivered so perfectly, and the scene is set. Uh, it's sublime. I would even go as so far as to call it sublime. The timing of the way his laugh like breaks out, the way the scene like pulls away. Cuts to another shot that's pulled away. Water starts flooding in. And then it finally, after enough time, it cuts to his line saying, 
like a future for you. And then at that point, of course, he he breaks and he's like, yeah, I'll just kill you. <laughs> I I'm just, gonna... <laughs> uh, I love it. The ending of this game is so wonderful. And I don't know, maybe, <laughs> man, there's just, there's just nothing about a game about, you know, flooded lands, you know, seawater changing, trying to set out for a better future for youth versus a bunch of olds trying to keep what they want for them and get what's theirs while they can't. Man, it's, it's, I don't really see any parallels to modern day issues here um, or any reason that that's poignant, but man, it really touched me. <laughs> uh, that, that boils down to, I think, Ganondorf and the king feeling in a similar way, but the king makes the sacrifice. Yeah. He has to and recognizes that. I think, like, you look at Tetra, who's, like, now been reduced to Princess Zelda. You look at this child who should be living his life and instead here stabbing his sword through a man's head. <laughs> you know? um, and I think, and I think, like, the stories of, like, Medley and Makar really touch me because you say goodbye to those characters and, my God, I mean, if, if saying goodbye to sages felt bad in ocarina but it also kind of felt like you know they're all together at least they're all yeah. in that happy room together <laughs> helping <laughs> you out and here oh my gosh it just feels so lonely you leave them and you leave them in yeah. these dungeons and they're like yeah i'm gonna be praying for the rest of my life you're like cool cool that sucks <laughs> until one day your soul is murdered by ganondorf again i guess like that sucks <laughs> awesome yeah, yeah great uh and it feels really terrible, like, going up into the light. And and so I feel like the king even, like, looks at these two children and is like, what are we doing here? Yeah. <laughs> like, we're just having to attach this karmic destiny to, like, all of these people <laughs> all over again. And so at the end, yeah. when you're, like, on the ship and Medley and Makar show up, I feel like that's, like, probably the greatest it's like the yeah. greatest vindication moment of the game where it's like <laughs> it's like they don't all right cool they either. get to be freed of their stupid fate like <laughs> congratulations guys you get to live your life and have friends yeah i i think the connection with link is so fluidly uh made and so effectively made at the end scene where even just you get up to the top and Ganor starts monologuing and Link's face is he's so utterly bewildered. He has, he is so out of his element that he's like, man, I do. I have no history with this guy, but he's talking with, he's like, he's like, I've dealt with, I've dealt with your kind before. I've dealt with the the previous hero before. And Link's like, I, man, this just is, and he's <laughs> even just, even the fact that they show Link exhausted after the puppet Ganon fight. And then after when he gets up there and he just, he's, even against Gan even after all the stuff that Link has fought, he's so out of his element against Ganondorf that he's just he Ganondorf doesn't even take out his swords, he just punches him <laughs> and slaps and beats him down. And it's just like, how do you have and even in the fight itself, the most you get on him is parries for a couple of hits. Yeah. And that's that's about all you really get, which would seem like a farce for a final fight, but it's really just making a point. It's like you're dealing with a guy who's been alive for he was sealed away for centuries. Uh, got to take over Hyrule and then had it taken away from immediately and flooded. And he's been dealing with effectively this farce of a solution for trying to give people a chance at hope. And <laughs> Link has the only context was is being 12 years old and growing up under his grandma <laughs> with yeah. his sister. And that's yeah. it. And you feel like just having like, it, you look at it in comparison to later games and thinking, well, they didn't spend that much time on it. So, but why does it work? And that's just because that disconnect between the two, between old and new, 
um, is so stark. And the King of Red Lions is really who brings it all together in the end anyway. And that's what makes it so heartfelt and kind of heartbreaking when you're leaving and he decides to, he's like, I have to go with his kingdom. I cannot carry on with this new generation. And ah, it's so good. So good. It's such a good ending. It's probably my favorite ending in the series. Yeah, it's mine too. So let's move on to what about this game do we remember the most? I kind of already said it, and it is the ending of this game. I It catches me every single time, Much maybe much in the same way that Ocarina and Link to the Past catch me, because I'm like, oh, shoot, this game just, I, right, everything just comes together, and it ends so well. But it's like the most, apart from, I guess, the staff role being a pretty, kind of like a letdown, because they didn't get to really get you to purvey the land even just, just besides that but the, cl- the closing out sequence everything thematically just comes together um musically it's brilliant from combat standpoint it's the the way that co- the gameplay enforces the feeling that's being felt is that's something that was never really even attempted with before it, like it not not at least with a sequence like this not in this way uh all of it comes together in such a just brilliant way and i love it <laughs> i love it I, there's not much more i can really say about the ending of the game i just it's it is exceptional my i've already kind of talked about my favorite moment a little bit but mine would have to be you know if like my ocarina of time one was like stepping out into hyrule field then like my wind waker one is like waking up in the king of red lions at windfall i love the way that the game just throws you into this space that rather instead of you just like entering it on your own or like the way with Castletown that you like wake up in like this bustling sort of center and you get more of a sense of what the world is and I think it just like helps you get grounded and understand like what's going on and like I like the way that the game spits you out it's like go find a sale and I think it's emblematic of sort of the game's approach to the tasks that it gives you is it'll be like do this thing Okay, and I like that the King of Red Lions, he's a great companion character because he sits in the ocean. When you're on land, you're on your own. You don't have to talk to him. (laughs) It's awesome. Every now and then I would be like, man, I wish the King of Red Lions would help me out right now. And I'd have to be on my own. And I think that that's something that's really nice is that he is the perfect companion. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I, I don't know, I guess to me, like that's just where the game... It feels like it begins in a way. It feels like you get all these threads and you get to understand a lot of these things and the music's great. And setting off from Windfall to Dragon Roost, it's just a unique feeling. And you, I don't know, I like that the game plops you in there and you have all these real, you have this real separation from all of these places you've been. You're able to get time and space and disconnect so that when you show up on Outset Island again, it's meaningful. When you go back to Mm. Forsaken Fortress again, it's meaningful. Every time you revisit these places, there's a palpable feeling that something has changed, like people have grown while you weren't there. Despite not having that time cycle that Majora's Mask was able to have, you get a real sense that everywhere there is civilization, there are things that the game is going on, the world is going on without you in it. And I think that that's something really wonderful and special. Next episode, we step into the shadows with Twilight Princess. 
Is the sun starting to set on our beloved series? Let's find out next time on A Retro Perspective.